0: Wonderful Christmas is nearly upon us. We're going to have a pause from our current series in John's Gospel called Jesus at the Centre. But actually, of course, Christmas is all about Jesus being right at the centre of it all. So although we're pausing looking at John's Gospel, we're not pausing the theme at all of Jesus being right at the centre of it all. In fact, we should never deviate from that theme of Jesus being the center. He's the center of who we are as children of God. He's the center of who we are as his body, his church. So looking forward to Advent. Who's looking forward to Christmas? Yes. A few hands went up. How many, who's who's got their decorations already up? Go on, put your hands up. Look at that. Okay. Keep your hands up. If you had your decorations up last week. Okay. I know there's a few actually who aren't in this room who probably would put them up the first sign of autumn. I love that sense actually. Although I tend to fall in the latter camp of delaying the decorations as long as possible, I I love that sense of anticipation that those who literally want to throw up their decorations the moment summer's gone. It's that sense of excitement, that sense of... Longing for Christmas to come. And really, that's what Advent is all about. This sense of expectant waiting, longing for the coming of Jesus, this anticipation of new hope. I think Advent is sometimes overlooked, it's resigned often just to a calendar, hopefully, with some chocolates behind the door. But in our always busy culture, I think it's really important to take note of Advent, this longing, this sense of waiting, this anticipation for the King of Kings, because otherwise this run up to Christmas, all it is, it's just a mad present buying panic rush if you're anything like me it's uh, our diaries are full up of kids nativities and food organizing and um trying to sort out family politics you know who's staying with who and well they had so and so last year i suppose it's our turn all that sort of stuff all the time nervously checking your bank balance are we okay are we gonna make it this year With all that sense of panic and rush and busyness, I think a a proper understanding of Advent is so healthy. So healthy in our busy culture. Historically, Advent has always been a time of prayer and preparation. Waiting for the wonderful celebration of the arrival of Jesus. It's very similar in many respects to Lent, a preparation for Easter. But really, uh, my hope really this morning, as we uh, we kind of focus on Advent again, is, is that we are able to pause for a moment and think about what Advent means for you in this busy 21st century and what it speaks to us about actively, faithfully waiting. I wonder what you are waiting for not talking about presents this Christmas. What, are you, what have you been longing for? What have you been holding out for? Maybe it's for your healing. Maybe it's for a loved one's salvation. Maybe it's for a marriage partner, or for a child, or for a change of job, or a change of circumstances. What is it that you are waiting for? Because Advent's story, as for the run-up to Christmas, speaks so much into how we can wait. For my son Ben, it's very obvious what he's waiting for. He's waiting for both his birthday and Christmas because they fall at a very similar time. Poor chap has to wait a whole year before he gets any hint of presents. But you know what? What makes all the difference to waiting is hope. Makes all the difference to our waiting. Ben, our son, is full of hope. He is waiting all year expectantly. He knows he's going to get some presents. He badges us about it continually, doesn't he? Never gives up. If there's one example of persistent asking, it's Ben. I mean, he's a great example of ask and go on asking and never give up. He is a brilliant example. He's persistent. Why? Because he knows his mum and dad. He knows our character. He knows that we're not going to turn around and go, you know what, Ben? On reflection, you haven't really hit the mark this year. You're not going to get any presents this year. No, he has hope. He knows his mum and dad. He knows what we're like. He knows we want to bless him. He's totally hopeful. Waiting with hope makes all the difference. You see, waiting without hope is a horrible place to be. When we wait without hope, it just leads to despair, leads to disillusionment, it leads to disappointment, and all the other D's that are are so unhealthy when we we start feeding on them, because that's what happens when hope isn't in the mix. Despair and disappointment so easily creep in. It's a, it's a real mud pile. But add hope into the mix. And our waiting is transformed. We wait expectantly. The mic behaved itself last week. I thought we were going to be fortunate. But there we go. Okay. So when we add hope into the mix, it transforms our waiting. We wait expectantly. We're, we're Rather than being disillusioned, we're envisioned. We're We're encouraged. And all the other healthy words that begin with E for some reason. Hope makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And really that's my first point. Advent reminds us that we can wait in hope. We wait in hope. See for the first century Israel. They had been waiting an awful long time for their Messiah. An awful long time. And yet for those who knew their God. They had hope. Why? Because throughout the centuries, God kept on bringing promise after promise after promise of the Savior to come. And those who knew their God well knew He never gives up on His promises. He never gives up on His promises. And we we can go right the way through Scripture. In fact, I'm going to do a whistle stop tour this morning right back at the very beginning in Genesis 3 just after Adam and Eve had rebelled against God decided they knew better they would do their own thing the moment they sinned God promised salvation Genesis three fifteen. 15 to, to the serpent, the devil this is what God says I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers he Meaning, Jesus will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right back at the very beginning, there's the promise of Jesus' complete victory over sin and death, and also a hint to Jesus' suffering to come. Right back at the very beginning, you know, you, you could almost argue this is where the Christmas story began. We usually flip to the beginning of Matthew. Actually, you can go right back to Genesis if you want. The promise of a saviour. Right at the very beginning. Throughout the centuries, throughout this wait, God gives his people promise after promise. When he calls Abraham, then Abraham. 75 years of age, married to a woman who was barren. He promises that you will father a nation. Through you and your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Amazing sign when Isaac finally came. He had to wait another 2,000 years for that promise to be totally fulfilled. When Jesus came and through him, all the nations on the earth were blessed. But a seed of hope was planted right back in Genesis 12. Amazing. Amazing. 700 years before Jesus finally arrived on the scene, as Israel was on this slippery slope of rebellion against God, despite the warnings, they were heading headlong into captivity in Babylon. It hadn't happened yet, but we have Isaiah. Amongst the warnings of judgment because of their rebellion, there was still hope. He says this, Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And you're to call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God with us is the theme for our Christmas season this year. God with us. This is 700 years before Jesus finally arrived. What a promise. What a promise. He goes on in chapter 9 to speak of a child who will be king, whose rule and reign will never end. Whose righteousness and peace and joy will be established forever. This was a promise to people who were rebelling against God. What does that tell you about the faithfulness of God? 600 years before Jesus arrived. 100 years after Isaiah's prophecy. We've got Jeremiah. This time Israel were in captivity. And still God's promises come. Jeremiah prophesies about a new covenant. A covenant where God's people can have a personal relationship with him. Ezekiel takes this further. Prophesies about this covenant can bring change from the inside out. That it was no longer about writing laws on tablets of stone. But God would write his laws on people's hearts. Incredible. Somehow this this coming king, this saviour, would... would enable us to to have a personal relationship with God. Somehow this king would also be our high priest, the one through whom we can have full access to the Father. Amazing promises. Ezekiel takes it further. Ezekiel 36 describes us as having totally new hearts and a new spirit dwelling within us. Remember, this is, this is talking to a people who are in captivity because of their disobedience. God's faithful promises keep coming. Of course, that, that new spirit dwelling in us was fulfilled at Pentecost. And God is still pouring out his spirit on all flesh as Joel prophesied years before. 100 years after Ezekiel, we've got Zechariah. 500 years before Jesus arrived. In Zechariah 9.9, he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And riding on a donkey. Wonderful, amazing, specific promise of God. Humble, riding on a donkey. God was slowly but surely revealing the character of what this promise, what this coming saviour, this coming king would be like. We've got the four servant songs in Isaiah. Again, graphically portraying both the humility of Jesus. He he didn't come to, to, to be served, but to serve. He came as a servant king but also he graphically describes the suffering of Jesus as well that Jesus was to come as a sacrifice amazing these promises throughout scripture there's over 300 references to Jesus in the old testament describing this coming king even the detail of his name of his place of birth His family line, exactly what he came on earth to do, exactly how he was going to die. Psalms mention his hands and his feet pierced, hundreds of years before the event, describing his resurrection. I mean, what does all this tell us? Why am I going through, you know, just a few, a little handful of some of the promises? Well, it tells us firstly that our God is a God who wants to give us hope in the wait He's a God who speaks to us whether we are totally right with Him. He's also a God who speaks hope to us even when we're rebelling against Him. He's a God whose promises always come to pass. You know, even after the prophets, there was 400 years of silence before the angels heralded the arrival of Jesus before John the Baptist as we saw in our series on John's gospel finally broke the silence and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world tells us that god is a god who wants to bring hope but secondly it tells us that god is a god who fulfills his promises he fulfills his promises It's No wonder then, when we finally get to the Christmas story as we know it, beginning of Matthew and also in Luke, they're so keen to link Jesus with all the Old Testament promises, all that's been prophesied before. This is the one, this is the promised saviour, this is the servant king. I mean, we just have to look. If you've got your Bibles, turn to um, the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. I think we've got it up on there. Yeah, there we go. Just going to read verse 20 to 23 for a moment. You know, these these verses are so familiar, aren't they, at Christmas time? Can I ask, as we look at these verses over this season, don't let their familiarity suck the truth out of them. Don't let that diminish the impact. And the power of what these verses are actually describing and saying. Chapter 1 verse 20. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to, to fulfill. Can't say that, to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where have we read that before? Isaiah 7, verse 14. Moving on to chapter 2, the wise men are looking for Jesus. They've seen the sign, they've seen the star in the sky, they're told he's in Bethlehem. Why? Verse 5: To fulfill what is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Who said that? It was Micah, around the same sort of time as Isaiah was prophesying. Story unfolds: Joseph is warned in a dream to flee from Herod, go to Egypt. We're told in verse 14, he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Why? This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. It's Hosea who said that. See all these words being fulfilled. The promises of God being fulfilled. They returned to Nazareth. Why, verse 22? So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Turn to the person next to you and say, Fulfilled. (laughs) Fulfilled. (laughs) God is a God who fulfills his promises. We see it right the way through Scripture. Thinking about this, a, a promise is very different to a prediction. Isn't it? Some people say, well, the Old Testament was very good at predicting the details of Jesus. It wasn't a prediction, it was a promise. A promise is personal. It's our Father promising a saviour. He's promising us hope in the wait. We wait in hope. But very importantly, is also what we're hoping in. We wait in hope, but who or what are we hoping in? Advent reminds us that we hope in God. He is the one we hope in. Today, so many people put their hope in stuff, in other things. It's a horizontal hope. They put their hope in other people, they put their hope in circumstances changing, they put their hope in themselves, in relationships. You know, if if only this person would change, that's where my hope lies. Or if only my my circumstances, my finances, whatever, would change, that's where my hope lies. She said people often put their hope in themselves. You know, I hope I can do this. I hope I can pull this off. I hope I'm enough. The author and speaker, Paul Tripp, goes so far as to say the only way you will ever find true hope is to give up on all those places where you've put your hope before. It's a challenge, isn't it? All those horizontal places where you place your hope. You see, I think we... I know for me, I can be really fickle with hope. I can trust God for certain things. You go, yeah, I know, God, you've got that. I trust you in that. But some things, I think, I think I need to be a bit more hands on in this one. What am I saying? I'm I'm basically saying, God, I trust you in this. My hope is in you in this situation, but actually, I'm not so sure about this bit. I can't see you coming through on this one. We can be really selective in our hope, can't we? Where is your hope resting? So, I don't know what you're longing for, I don't know what you're waiting for, but where is your hope resting? Is it resting in a, just a change of circumstances or is it resting in the character and the promises of God? Paul was so clear when he spoke to Timothy about this. He said in 1 Timothy six seventeen, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain. It is, isn't it? Wealth is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. Real hope is a vertical hope. Put your hope in God. Because everything else, ourselves included, will let us down. I don't know if you've noticed that. Only Jesus can truly give us a hope that we can securely cling to. So centuries of promises will fulfill that first Christmas day. Amazing, amazing. And the truth is God is still fulfilling his promises today. He is a promise keeping God. Third point, Advent reminds us though, That sometimes God's answers are not quite what we would expect. You know, sometimes the fulfilment of these promises, when they do come, don't quite look like we'd have imagined. It's like, really? That's your answer? Again, we just look back at at the Christmas story. Jesus was not the Messiah that most people were expecting, was he? You know, God's answer... May not be what we are expecting, but the run up to Christmas reminds us that God's answer is always exactly what we need. Might not be what we're expecting, but it is exactly what we need. For those first century Jews, they were looking for a leader to overthrow Rome, to give them a kingdom again. That's, that's what their hope was. God's answer looked a little different. He gave them a baby in a manger, in squalor, born to a local carpenter from Nazareth. You know Nazareth is, is, is like the armpit of, of a town. It really was, it was the most despised place of that time. It was the Bradford of our day. And I've got nothing against Bradford. But according to the Independent 2015, Bradford is officially the worst place to live. So there we go. Personally, I think my brother lived there. I thought it was very nice. But there we go. But that's the thing. It was despised. It was like, who wants to live there? Even Nathaniel, one of the disciples, said, does anything good come from Nazareth? This was God's answer. And because of that, so many people missed the answer to God's promises. Because Jesus didn't look like the answer. We need to be careful we don't fall into the same mistakes. For those though whose hope rested in God and not in their predefined way that God should answer. There was massive hope and joy when Jesus did finally arrive. And we've just got to think of Mary. What did she go through? Devout Jew, lover of God, who knew the scriptures, she knew the promises. Did she expect the answer would look quite like it looked? Imagine that when, when the angel came to her with the promise that she would be with child. Think of what went through her mind. You know, well, this was really not quite what I was expecting. This wasn't the life I was dreaming about. You know, think of her as a little girl growing up, as little girls do, dreaming of marriage, dreaming of romance and love and their wedding day. This wasn't quite what she had in mind, suddenly to be faced with the prospect of shame and ridicule and and very real persecution. This wasn't the answer she was expecting. Or for that matter, the life that she was dreaming about. Yet there was still hope in her response, wasn't there? Because she understood that despite these very unusual and unique and challenging circumstances. She knew that God was fulfilling his promise. And we've got her response. I mean in Luke 1 verse 8. It's an incredible response. She simply says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word, or or promise that could also mean, the Greeks there is rhema. May your word be fulfilled. Amazing. Didn't look anything like she was expecting. But God's answers are often not quite what we would expect. I was thinking about this for myself, you know, I, I think sometimes it's because our expectations are too low and God wants to exceed our expectations. He's got a much bigger agenda than we have. He has a much bigger picture. He sees a much bigger picture than we do. Sometimes we, we are surprised by God's answer because our expectations are actually too low. Again, we look to Jesus, the story of Christmas. He was called to be the savior of the world. Not just the saviour of the Jews. He was to bring kingdom, rule and reign to the nations. Not just some small geographic location. He, he, he came to deal with man's greatest enemy. Sin and death and not just the Roman Empire. And sometimes we can miss the bigger picture of what God is doing. Because we're so blinkered on seeing him doing it our own way. Our expectations are too low sometimes. But sometimes, and I think this is probably even more challenging, God surprises us by giving us an answer that seems smaller than we imagined. You know, less impressive than we imagined. And again, we can go to the Christmas story and see this outplayed. That first Christmas, that a humble baby was the answer. A servant king, not a warrior king that people had in their minds, who came as a sacrifice and to save rather than to judge and overthrow. It's like, is this it? God, is this, is this your answer from centuries of promises? Is, is this it? Remember Bill Johnson from um, Bethel Church, speaking, he's describing how so often when we're praying for what he describes as oak tree sized breakthroughs, God sometimes answers us by giving us an acorn. And you're like, is this it? I was was praying for an, an oak tree God, what's this? What's this? And he goes on to say, it's because God wants to see how we will steward his answer. It's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes the truth is we are not ready in ourselves to receive the full answer. We're not ready for it. We haven't grown enough to receive it. And yet, as we faithfully steward God's answer, as we water it and as we nurture it, guess what? We grow as it grows. We grow as it grows. I think it's, that's so true. I've said before that I don't believe as a church we would have been ready to have taken on this building five years ago when it was handed to us on a plate for a pittance it was like we were sniffing around for a building Pete and I and this just arrived said it's yours £10,000 I'm sorry yep there we go shake hands done deal Well, that's easy isn't it great (laughs) wonderful oak tree size answer to prayer wonderful and then, if you know the story, I was telling um, a bunch of leaders this story a while, well, a couple of weeks ago. It just reinforced the miracle of God and the faithfulness of God again because we were turned down about three or so times. We were outbid, we lost the building, it was taken out of our hands, and each time God brought us back into the bidding process. Finally, we got into an interview process and we were chosen, praise God. But what a journey! Four and a half years. It's just like, really? Through that time, of course, we learned what it meant to handle disappointment. You know, standing up here saying, church, we've, we've missed out on the building. But God's, God's faithful. God is faithful. And then we got back into it again. It's amazing, isn't it? We learned how to deal with disappointment, how to handle when hopes are dashed. We, we learned that. We, we learned how to persevere in prayer along this journey. It's like, God, we really believe you. We contended with God. God, we believe you for this place. Driving past time and time again. God, we believe that place you've given us. We learned how to contend with God in prayer. We learned how to stretch ourselves financially. Because throughout this time, the price was going up and up and up and up. And it's like, crumbs, we're going to need some faith now. It's new. <laughs> we wouldn't have needed faith if it was handed on, our, on a plate, would we? It's like, woo, Wonderful. But no, this was stretching us. We were growing. And I believe we're still growing into a people who can handle greater influence and greater impact as God has planted us right in the center of the borough. God sometimes answers us with an acorn to see how we will steward and nurture it, to see it fulfill into an oak tree breakthrough let's not miss God's answers you know God's more interested in growing his people than in any specific individual breakthrough story of Joseph shows that He had to get Joseph to a place where he was ready to handle the great influence in that kingdom and in that region He grows us as people. You know, again, we just have to look at Mary. Often God fulfills his promises through us, by his Holy Spirit. She was part of the answer. Part of that fulfillment. It's challenging, isn't it? The question is, are we going to be like so many of the Jews of that time? Who rejected Jesus because God's answer didn't look anything like they had imagined? Are we going to be like Herod? Who actually felt threatened by God's answer. By this coming king. Because God's answer sometimes calls us to submit to God's ways. His ways are higher than our ways. God, that's not the answer I would have come up with. I would have done it this way. But we've got to trust. God, you know what you're doing. If that's what your answer looks like, I submit to that. I humble myself. I trust you. We can feel threatened sometimes. Or are we going to be like Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds who despite the incredibly unlikely scenario, accepted God's answer, accepted God's gift, and worshipped him. Advent reminds us that God's answers are often not what we expect, but they are always exactly what we need, always what we need. And finally, Advent reminds us that we continue to wait in hope for Christ's return he is still the promise keeping God isn't he he is the same yesterday today and forever and you know in many ways we're in a similar place to those who were waiting for his first arrival we have promises and yet we have the wonderful advantage of knowing that God came good on his promises then he fulfilled them He came good on them. And really we have therefore every more reason to believe he will come good on his future promises. You know, Advent has a past, a present and a future part of it. We look back, we remember the promises of God. We look in the present and see how he's fulfilled them. And it gives us hope for the now. Because as we look to the future, we know He is a promise keeping God. We know that one day wars will cease. So important to understand this future hope, particularly when you turn on the telly, hear about airstrikes, you see the world in chaos. This is what God promises. Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, praise God. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, this is to John on the island of Patmos, write for these words are faithful and true. We can hope in God, can't we? As we look at the news, as we see the chaos unfolding, we hope in God. Advent reminds us, we wait in hope in God, now and for the future. I recently read a story of a mum whose wayward daughter had run away from home and every night she would pray that her daughter would return and every morning she woke up disappointed when she saw the bed hadn't been slept in but she said every night she would leave the porch light on just in case that night the daughter chose to come home the good news is the daughter did return home And the daughter said there were many times where she had stood in the dark, just outside the house, plucking up courage to come home. But she said because the porch light was on, she knew at least she would be welcomed. Which helped when she finally did pluck up courage and came home. She knew the porch light was on, she would be welcomed. But the thing is that mum never gave up hope. Never gave up hope. And as I said at the very beginning, I don't know what you are personally waiting for, what you are holding out for, what you are longing for. But my prayer this Advent season is that you keep looking to the faithfulness of God and not to your circumstances. Don't be like Abraham who who tried to take shortcuts with Ishmael. Hold out. For God's answer. Don't be blinkered into thinking it has to be this way or it has to be that way. God's ways are higher than ours. Sometimes his answer doesn't look like the answer we were expecting. But we wait in hope. The Apostle Paul, I'll finish with this, was wanting to encourage the Gentile believers in Rome And he did it by, again, like we've done this morning, directly linking to Old Testament promises to bring future and present hope in the here and now. And so in Romans 15, he actually quotes Isaiah again, Isaiah 11. He says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles place their hope. Now, therefore, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound or overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This Advent, may we all abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and know his joy. And his peace, whatever you are waiting for. Amen? Amen. If you are waiting for something, if you are longing for a breakthrough, for a change of situation, why don't you just raise your hands right now? All those who are waiting, maybe you've been waiting for the salvation of a loved one or whatever, change in circumstances. I'd just like to pray over you right now. Keep your hands raised. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who comes good on his promises. And I just pray right now for every hand raised that right now you will impart real hope. Hope in you. Hope in your faithfulness. Hope in your strength. Hope in your sovereignty. Hope that you are a God who overrules every circumstance and every situation, I pray. However unlikely the circumstances, however unlikely the answer, I pray you will bring it in your perfect timing. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus came in the fullness of time. And we just declare our trust in you and not in our circumstances. I just pray may hope come, may peace come, may joy come as we continue through this Advent season and we pray for the answers and for the breakthroughs to come, whether they're acorns or whether they're oak trees. You are the promise keeping God, the faithful one. And our hope rests in you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.